hallelujah, to the son of suffering. There was anybody that did not deserve to suffer. It was him. And uh, I'm feeling a little bit somber this morning as we take a look at our text from God's Word in John chapter 19. It's on page 851. I invite you to turn to John chapter 19 in your Bibles. The, the, again, page 851 in the Bibles provided there in the pew in front of you or beneath your seat. This son of suffering, this one who came and, and died in our place. And for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called If They Only Knew. If they only knew the people who inflicted the suffering upon this son of suffering, if they only knew who it was, truly, if they could only have the spiritual eyes of their hearts open to see the glory of this son of suffering. And as a reminder, uh, the verse we're really kind of keying this whole series off of, the theme comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And as you're turning to John 19, I'd, I'd like just to remind you of that passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they only knew. We've been taking a look here in the past few weeks in John chapter 18 of Jesus' arrest. Jesus' trial before the religious Jewish high priest Annas and Caiaphas. Last week we were seeing this trial before Pilate, the, uh, the ruler there, and the Roman ruler in that region of Judea. And we're going to take a look here at John chapter 19. But as a, as a reminder, last week, Jesus having this encounter with, G, uh, with Pilate, Jesus an encounter with Pilate, it says in chapter 18, verse 33, just as a reminder of this conversation that Jesus has with Pilate about his kingdom. It says here in verse 33 of John 18, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world, or not from this world. So then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world. So we see Jesus here having this conversation with Pilate about his kingdom. And Pilate's looking around and saying, Okay, Jesus, where's, where's this kingdom that you speak of? You see, Pilate had an image in his mind of what a king ought to look like. And as he looks at this Jesus, who's, who's there, you know, bound, as one who's there under guard, one who's there that's not free to come and go, he's looking at Jesus and asking, are you truly a king? What kind of kingdom could you possibly have? And Jesus gives the answer to Pilate, my kingdom is not from this world. So what kind of king would the religious leaders, what kind of king would Pilate be expecting? In fact, what kind of king were the disciples 
expecting from Jesus. But let me ask you this, what, what do you expect from a king? Now, we're kind of removed from the monarchy, are we not? 250 years, our country's been in existence nearly, right? And we've celebrated the fact that we are a part of a democratic republic out from under the rule of kings and queens from a monarchy. But when you think about a king, what would you expect a king to look like? What would you expect a king to act like or, or rule like? How could anyone accept that this Jesus of Nazareth, the Galilean, to be a king? And as we look at our text this morning, we're going to see an image of a king that no one would ever expect. John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. And I invite you, let's pray and ask for God's wisdom and guidance and illumination as we look at the scriptures together. Our Father in heaven, we come to you today because of the son of suffering, because of Jesus Christ. And we read that he says that his kingdom was not from this world. And we're going to see an image of this king, your son, Jesus the Christ. And we're asking, would you open our eyes that we would see his royalty, that we would see his beauty, and we would see his majesty, and we would see his glory. We trust in you today that your spirit will be here to quicken and awaken and open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things out of your law. So would you please allow that to happen today? Transform us from the inside out. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. John chapter 19 verses 1 through 16 says this, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. 
So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The son of suffering, this king that we see, this king that we would never expect. And in fact, that's our our main point today. That's the thing I, I want for us to take home from this text is this. Jesus wasn't the king we expected, but he is the king we need. Jesus wasn't the king we expected, but he is the king we need. And there are three things we're going to see from this text this morning about this king. First of all is this. It's kind of long. Feel free to write it down if you'd like to. First, we expect a king to see glory and honor, but we need a king who accepted a crown of humility. Secondly, we expect a king to exert his own authority, but we need a king who rules with the authority of heaven. Thirdly, we reject a king who fails to build our kingdom, but we need a king who died to invite us into his. Jesus wasn't the king we expected, but he is the king we need. Let's take a look at the first point. We expect a king to seek glory and honor, but we need a king who accepted a crown of humility. Take a look again at John chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. It says, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. It's this presentation of Jesus. Verse 2 says, the soldiers twisted together this crown of thorns. We know this crown of thorns to be very sharp, very painful. This was no wreath of, of honor and royalty. This was a mockery of a crown Imagining these Roman soldiers twisting this, this, these thorns together and pressing it down on the crown, on the head of Jesus, with blood beginning to pour down upon his head. If you've ever had a head wound, you know that they bleed a lot, right? The skin is so thin there. Imagine all those thorns piercing in to the head of Jesus. And this flogging that Jesus had just received, we know later on that he's going to receive another flogging from Mark chapter 15, verse 15. When, when Jesus is delo- delivered over to be crucified, he's scourged with this beating that took place right before crucifixion. In fact, it was so bad, it started the death process. It started killing that victim so that they would eventually die even more quickly on the cross. But we see here that Jesus first receives this lighter beating, hoping Pilate, that he could placate the desires of the Jews, Jewish leaders. So he's flogged, he has this crown of thorns put on his head, he's got this purple robe around him as a mockery, and here are these Roman soldiers slapping him and beating him and hitting him and saying, ah, hail, king of the Jews! They loved it. They loved tormenting the Jews. They loved ruling over them with an iron fist. And now here, the representation of their king right in front of them, it was just a reminder to them and to the rest of the world. They had the might. They had the power. And so Pilate brings Jesus out. Blood dripping down his face. This purple robe around him after he'd been flogged and beaten. And he says, Here is your king. He says in verse 4, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Then why did you beat him, Pilate? (laughs) Why did you beat him? Why would anybody beat an innocent man? Well, Pilate had all the power. He had all the authority. And he's trying to avoid crucifying this man who's Jesus. He doesn't see any crime worth executing him over. In fact, he's probably still wishing that he could actually get to execute Barabbas. But in order to please the Jewish leaders, he says, here, look, here he is. Here's your king. Here he is. 
I want you to know I find no guilt in him. Jesus comes out wearing this crown of thorns and this purple robe, and Pilate says something amazing in verse 5. Behold the man. Behold the man. You see, Pilate was saying more than he knew. He's bringing this man out, the man under question. He says, behold the man. Look what's happened to him. Look at this, your king, the king of the Jews. Behold this man, beaten and bloodied and humiliated. But yet Pilate was saying more than he actually knew. You see, Jesus earlier, and we know from Matthew 26, verses 63 to 64, he had had a conversation with the high priest, with the Jewish leaders, and they asked him, who are you? Are you truly the Messiah? And Jesus tells the high priest, the high priest said to him, verse 63 of Matthew 26, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and listen to Jesus' words. He says this, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This Jesus, Pilate is there saying, behold the man, but Jesus knows I truly am the Son of Man. Pilate, you are saying way more than you even realize. This son of man, this son of man, this representation of all that humanity was meant to be, this one who obeyed and loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, did everything to fully please his father. Here is the man, the perfect representation, the one who will come again on the clouds of glory, and yet here he is, beaten and mocked and bloodied. Behold the man. What's the response of the Jewish leaders? Crucify him. Crucify him. You see, if, if he truly is our king, why would he accept such treatment? Why would he be willing to be beaten and mocked and scorned? Why would he wear this crown of humility? Come on, Jesus. We expect you as a king to seek glory and honor. Why do you wear this crown of humility? This crown of humility. You see, Jesus, he's not the king we expected, but he is the king we need. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the 19th century, said this about these crown of thorns, of this crown of humility upon Jesus' head. Let us remember that our Lord's weakness was undertaken for our sakes. For us, he became a lamb. For us, he laid aside his glory. And therefore, it is the more painful for us to see that this voluntary humiliation of himself must be made the object of so much derision and scorn. Though worthy of the utmost praise, he stoops to save us. And we laugh at him as he stoops. He leaves the throne that he may lift us up to it. But while he is graciously descending, the hoarse laughter of an ungodly world is his only reward. You see, we would expect a king to seek glory and honor, but we needed a king who accepted a crown of humility for our sakes to stoop down, to rescue and redeem the pe very people, the very people that were inflicting the pain upon him. I love this, this hymn. The, the words, the lyrics date all the way back to the Middle Ages. 
You may have heard it before. This hymn goes, O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine. Yet though despised in glory, I joy to call thee mine. How pale thou art with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn. How does thy face now languish, which once was bright as morn. Thy grief and bitter passion were all for sinners gain. Mine and yours and mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. This is a king that none of us would ever expect. One that's being crowned with humility. One that we we know had glory before the world existed, but yet comes the suffering, the son of suffering that we just talked about. This, This God who takes on flesh so that he could weep, that he could bleed for you and for me to take the crown of humility to bring us into his glory. Oh friend, I pray and ask that as you see this beaten, this mocked, this bleeding Messiah. Oh, you see a crown of humility, but this crown of humility was the path to his glory. And the path to glory, this is the miracle, friends. His path was always a path to glory, but he went down so that he could grab a hold of you and he could grab a hold of me and take us there with him. That's what we needed. We needed a king that was, be, that was willing to wear that crown of humility for you and for me. The last thing we would ever expect is this king. We would expect a king to seek his own glory and honor, but we needed a king who accepted a crown of humility. Have you accepted this king? Have you bowed the knee to this king, this king who bled for you and for me? Jesus wasn't the the king we expected, but he is the king we need. Point number two. You see, we expect a king to exert his own authority, but we need a king who rules with the authority of heaven. Take a look at verse 7, John chapter 19. The Jews, being the Jewish leaders, the high priest and the Sanhedrin and, and those that were a part of the religious establishment, the Jews answered him, we have a law. You see, they couldn't convince Pilate to actually go through with the execution. They couldn't appeal to Roman political law, so they had to transition to something else. And they transitioned to their own Torah, the, the Jewish law, the law of the Old Testament scriptures. And, and they say this in, in verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Well, what law are they appealing to? We know from Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, it says this, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregations shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. In the minds of the Jewish leaders, Jesus was worthy of death. And now they're appealing to their own religious uh, motivations, their own religious law. And we see that this conflict has been going on between them and Jesus for quite some time. Back in John chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, after Jesus had healed a man who was lame, 
It says this in John 5, 16, and this was why the Jews, the Jewish leaders, were persecuting Jesus. Why? Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. What did he mean by that? The leaders, they understood it. Verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In their minds, there's no way that God could be right here in human flesh, bleeding and dying. He's got to have more authority than that. He can't come and and strip away our authority. He actually should give us even more authority. There's no way that this bleeding Jesus, this so-called Messiah, could be our king. Therefore, therefore, the only other option that we have is that he must be blaspheming and we must kill him. We must kill him. Pilate was even more afraid after that. I think he saw the moment becoming something that was getting out of control. And now in this moment, they say this thing that he claims to be the son of God. Well, now what am I going to do? Not, not, not only do I have someone who's calling himself a king and opposing Caesar, now I've got somebody that's walking around calling himself a deity, and these guys want to kill him. What am I going to do about this man? Pilate was even more afraid. Is it superstition? Uh, Perhaps it's a fear of the obligation uh, to kill him because of this heightened allegation. I can tell you this, it was not because Pilate had a healthy fear of God. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, in fact, it says this, Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat being Pilate, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, meaning Jesus, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Pilate's getting a little uneasy about this. Who is this guy that's claiming to be the son of God? What, what am I to do about this religious controversy? I'm just a Roman politician here, a Roman governor. I don't know anything about this stuff. So Pilate goes in and he talks to Jesus. And he says, where are you from? Verse 9 of John 19. But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus gave him no answer. He's not going to give in to Pilate's fear. He's not going to give Pilate what he wants or what he needs. He remains quiet. Listen to Pilate's response in verse 10 of John 19. Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You see, Pilate thought he was in control in this moment. His idea of ruler, of being king, means that's the person with the authority. And here I am, Jesus. Don't you understand I've got you on trial, not the other way around? Don't you understand the power that's here? Don't you see that I've got the high ground? Don't you see that I have the leverage here? Don't you see that I'm the man with the authority and you are subject to me? See, Pilate thought, He was in control. But listen to Jesus' response. Verse 11. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You see, Pilate, he doesn't realize it. He's really passive in all this. I think Jesus is referring the one who has the greater sin, probably the chief priest. They willingly, they went out of their way to make sure I was handed over to you. You're just kind of passive in all this, Pilate. So they have the greater sin. But I want you to know this, Pilate. I want you to know this. 
You think that this opportunity, this moment is here before you because you have all the authority. You have all the power. You think that ruling and being a king means the, is the person that has all the authority on this earth. But I want you to know there is someone that is higher than every ruler of every kingdom on this planet. And that is the almighty God in heaven. You would not be in this moment, Pilate, if it was not predetermined by the mighty hand and plan of God. Pilots, you're so blind. You think you've got the high ground? You think you've got the leverage? I'm submitting to God Almighty's plan. That's why I'm standing before you right now, Pilate. Pilate thought he was in control, but the only reason Jesus was before him now was according to the plan of God. You see, friends, this king is not the king that we expected, a king that we'd be willingly submitting to this evil and wicked Pilate, this cowardly Pilate. We would think that he would be the one that would exert his own authority. We think that if Jesus is a king, he wouldn't be willing to submit to this, but we know, we know this, that he is the king we need. He's the one who rules, not with earthly authority, not with the rule of the Romans, not with the rule of the Jews, not with the rule of the Greeks, not with the rule of Russia or Ukraine or the United States. He's the one that rules with the authority of heaven. That is our Jesus. That is our King. True authority rests in heaven. And so we see Jesus here willing to suffer at the hands of wicked men. 1 Peter chapter 2 Peter writes, chapter 2, verses 22 to 23, of Jesus submitting himself to wicked rulers. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled by the Jewish leaders, by the Roman soldiers, by Pilate himself, he did not revile in, in return. Why? Did he not have any authority? No, here's why. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Pilate thought he was the judge and ruler in this moment. But Jesus knows there is a higher king than Pilate. Jesus knows there's a higher king than Caesar himself. There is the king who is seated on the throne of heaven. And Jesus looks at Pilate and says, you've got it all backwards. If you only knew, Pilate. If you only knew. That's the kind of king we need, friends. That's the kind of king we need. We would expect Jesus to come in and, and, and be violent. We would expect Jesus to come in and, and rule with a rod of iron. In fact, Psalm chapter 2 says that he will do that at one day, but he comes first, friends, in humility. He comes first under the, authority of, under the authority of heaven. Why? To rescue you and rescue me in humility, submitting himself even to wicked men according to the plan of God to rescue us. That's the king we need. That's the king we need. What a king. Have you bowed to this king? Have you bowed to this king? Thirdly, we reject a king who fails to build our kingdom, but we need a king who died to invite us into his. We would reject a king who fails to build our kingdom, but we need a king who died to invite us into his. Take a look at verse 12 of John 19 again. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. This is so ironic, friends. 
Here the Jewish religious leaders had become more loyal to Caesar than even Pilate himself. I, I mean, this is totally ironic. Here they're turning the tables on him and saying, you're no friend of Caesar. You're no friend of Caesar. Now this is probably an honorary title. Someone who had a connection or personally knew Caesar. Pilate was banking on that. He was trying to climb the political ladder and they say, we're going to throw it right back at you, Pilate. If you don't crucify this man, you are no friend of Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, verse 13, he realizes he's caught in a corner. His back's against the wall. What else is he to do? Verse 13, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat. How ironic. The one who really has a mirage of authority is sitting on a judgment seat, judging the great king and judge of all the universe. He sits on his judgment seat and, and he says, going down to verse 14, it, it says it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour and Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. Behold your king. Again, Pilate is saying more than he knows. Earlier he says, Behold the man. Here he says, Behold your king. Your king, the one who came for you, the one who truly has the right to rule as your Messiah. Pilate doesn't understand that, but he is saying, here's your king. Here is your king, and they missed it. They missed it. The Jewish leaders missed it. Their king truly was right before them. Oh, if they only knew what do the Jewish leaders hear as they see their king before them, beaten, bloodied, bruised? This is the saddest verse, in my opinion, of this entire passage. Verse 15. The Jewish leaders cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king. But Caesar. We have no king from Caesar. You see, the Jewish leaders are taking one step lower, one step lower, selling out over and over and over again. Why? Because they see this Jesus does nothing to help us build our kingdom, so we're going to try and tear his down. And they're going after him, and they compromise over and over and over again. They're showing less and less loyalty to Yahweh, the one true God. They were called to lead the people of Israel to worship, and they become more and more compromising, more willing to give in to the Roman government we're willing to give in to Caesar and they get to this moment where they completely sell out and say we have no king but Caesar oh they should have known they should have remembered the history of their own nation back in 1 Samuel chapter 8 as the people of Israel that God was delivering them uh, through judges and through prophets he had delivered them out of Egypt through the exodus God showed himself to be mighty to fight their battles and what do the people of Israel say this isn't good we need a king 
We need somebody to go out and fight our battles for us and provide for our needs. In fact, it says we need a king just like the other nations who would provide for their needs. We, we need that kind of king. We, we don't want this God who could give us manna from heaven. We don't want this God who could slay all these people, all these Egyptians as he brings the Red Sea to collapse upon them. We don't want this God who could deliver us with the plagues in Egypt. We want a king, a human king that can do all the work for us that we could see that we could touch and the Lord said to the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 8 7 and 8 it says obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you God is saying give them what they want Samuel for they've not rejected you but they've rejected me from being king over them or according to all the deeds they've done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. You see, this, this claim of the religious leaders, we have no king but Caesar. This is the height of idolatry. They were bowing down to the idol of Caesar and his authority and his power. Why? Because they saw this Jesus could do nothing to build up their kingdom. So they wanted to tear his down. But Jesus is here as the one true king, the king we need that is dying and bleeding and suffering at their hands so that he could invite us into his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. John chapter 1 verse 11 says, he being Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. We don't want this king. Our only king is Caesar. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify Jesus. This is the ultimate blasphemy, friends. The ultimate sellout. These leaders were charged with leading the Jewish people to worship the Lord alone, yet what they really wanted was to build their own kingdom. And so verse 16 says, Jesus was delivered over to be crucified. What a coronation. What an enthronement. This was his lifting up to be glorified. This was his moment as a king. As a king that no one ever would expect. But yet in this moment, he was showing to himself to be the king that we needed. Jesus was delivered over to be crucified. His coronation with a crown of thorns was complete. His enthronement through a crucifixion was moments away. This was Jesus lifting up to be glorified. This was the means through which he would open the door to his kingdom so that all may go in. In fact, Jesus said this in John 12, 32. He says, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, and you can see that with uh, almost a double meaning, when I'm lifted up to be glorified, but what does that look like? When I'm lifted up off the ground on a cross, what will I do? I will draw all people to myself. Friend, this is the king we need. We ex would expect, you know, if you watch the news, when you see these great moments of the monarchy in Great Britain, right? You see these coronations and we see these weddings and these great ceremonies with pomp and, and all of this, this regality. And it, it looks amazing and it looks wonderful. And we think that would be the coronation for our king. That would be the moment of his enthronement. But friends, as we look at this passage, we see that he was crowned with a crown of thorns, that he was beaten and mocked, that he was hailed in blasphemy, and that we see he's about to be lifted up and enthroned by being crucified on a cross. Why? So that he could draw you, and he could draw me, he could draw us, 
He could draw the worst of sinners. He could draw those who are at the highest peaks of authority. He could draw those that are down at the lowest points of the valley and say, you can come into my kingdom. You could come into my kingdom. This is the coronation and the enthronement of our King Jesus, a king that none of us would ever expect, but it's exactly the king that we needed. Pilate, the soldiers, the Jews, the chief priests and officers, they could not fathom that a king of any significance would be in Jesus' position. But Jesus is truly the Christ, the Messiah King, who gives us what we need most. What is it that we need more than anything? According to John, he says, I want you to believe so that you may have what? Eternal life. Eternal life. You see, Jesus' coronation with a crown of thorns was the means through which he would eventually be enthroned, which is his crucifixion, and purchase for his people their eternal kingdom with him forever. Not the king we expect, but the king we need. Oh, if these leaders, if Pilate, if these soldiers, if Annas and Caiaphas and all of these chief priests, if they only knew Jesus is going through this for them, that they could, if they would believe in him, also receive eternal life. If they only knew. If we only knew. Praise be to God, we have God's revelation to us that gives us a meaning and understanding of why all these things happen to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But our hearts, as we're born, are like these Romans. Our hearts, born in sin and rebellion, are just like these Jewish leaders. We too miss King Jesus. We miss him for who he is. Because we're looking at all the wrong things for what a king should truly look like. We'd expect something so different. He's not the king we expected, but he is the king we need. Pilate was motivated by fear of losing control of his position and authority. The Jewish leaders were motivated by hatred and envy because of Jesus. Uh, he influenced the people in ways that they could never influence. All of these were deceived by an illusion. What was the illusion? The illusion is this, that they were in charge, that they were king. Yet Jesus was right in front of them as the one true king, but they would never accept him because he fell so short of their expectations. An illusion. The chief priests thought that they had it over Jesus. It was an illusion. Pilate and those Roman soldiers thought that they could mock Jesus. That Pilate thought, I have the authority over you, Jesus, it was an illusion. It was an illusion. An illusion. Friends, we're born with the same illusion. You see, when we look upon this story, many of us want to say, oh, poor Jesus. Oh, poor Jesus. We want to pity Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I, I feel so bad for you. And it, it is right to see the Son of glory. It should bring tears to our eyes and agony to our hearts. But sometimes we think we would be that, that fellow that would come along, that friend and would say, oh, Jesus, you're going to be all right. You'll be okay. But friends, I think that the same illusion that Pilate had, that the Roman soldiers had, that the Jewish leaders had, is our illusion too. You see, where I think where we would be in this story is that we would be the ones right there mocking him. We would be the ones that would be pushing that crown of thorns upon his head. We would be the ones thinking, Jesus, I have the authority. You can't call me to do anything. I'm in charge of my life. I call the shots. 
Friends, where are our place in the story? We're the ones mocking, beating, accusing every time we reject this king of glory. Why? Because we go through our lives thinking, I could never expect this king to look like that. I can never expect this king to ask me to do that. I can never expect this king to actually uh, expect me to be humiliated or to be humbled or to serve others. I would never expect this king to, to force me to let go of the authority and control of my life. I can never expect this king to ask me not to have the way I want things to be in my life to make my own choices about my family, about my career, about my possessions, about my own comfort, and about my own needs. I can never expect this king to, to give away control of the, the politics of the day. I can never expect this king to actually make me think that I could lose a, a vote in an election. You see, the illusion is that we love to be our own king. In fact, we wear it as a badge of honor. We love, especially as Americans, to think that we govern ourselves. The greatest pursuit is our own autonomy. And through our autonomy, we seek this self-transcendence. We're constantly seeking to better ourselves, better our position, better our authority over and over again. But just like the Jewish leaders, just like the Roman soldiers, just like Pilate, it's an illusion. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. But Jesus, he's not the king we expected, but he is the king we need. John 20, 31 gives us the reason why he writes this passage. Why would we even want to read of such suffering? Why would we want to be confronted with such a low, low esteem of a kingly Jesus? Why? He writes this because he says in John 20, 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the king, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. John is saying, I want you to be uh, fooled no longer. I want to remove the blinders from your eyes. I want you to see this king of glory, that even in that moment when he's wearing a crown of thorns, he's not the king you expected. He's the one who is the king we need. I want you to see, John is saying, when he is the one who is seemingly giving up his authority, he's the one that's living and acting under the authority of heaven. He's the one that in your heart you may want to reject and say, oh Jesus, why don't you build my kingdom? And he's the one that dies on the cross for you and me so that he could invite us into his own kingdom. John is saying, wake up from the illusion. This king is the one that you need. The one you need. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the king, Messiah, the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing this you may have life in his name. We don't have to live in illusion any longer. We could bow to this king today and see he's not the one I expected. I would never expect to bow to a king wearing a crown of thorns. I would never expect to bow to a king who submitted himself to the authorities of this world for a moment. I would never expect to bow to a king who's not here to bow to my kingdom. But that's my king. That's my king. Is he your king today? You may not expect him. This is exactly the king that we needed. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the king and that he's the one to give you something so much better than your kingdom. He's the one that came so that he can invite you into his kingdom. Oh, I pray 
There's so many of us here, so many of us that have been singing songs. Are you in the kingdom? Have you trusted and believed upon this king? He can give you eternal life today. And what is eternal life? John 17, verses 3 through 4. This is eternal life. What? My kingdom? My glory? No, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Jesus says, I've glorified you on earth, Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is what it means to have eternal life. Not to have your own kingdom, not to have your own way, not to have your own comfort, not to think that you are your own master and ruler. That's just an illusion. But to, but to accept this king, this one who suffered on your behalf, so that he can invite you into his and give you eternal life. Today, as we bow our heads and close our eyes in closing, I'd like for us to consider, some of us here, we, we may have received Jesus as our king, but yet we're living in betrayal to that commitment. We may be still be pursuing in our own lives, our own careers, our own families, our choices, our, how we manage our money, how we think about sharing our faith, and we think, oh, no, no, I don't have to do that because, you know what, maybe I'm still my king, my own king. Friend, that's an illusion today. And so I want to give you a moment about 30 seconds to close your eyes and reflect. What area of your life have you been refusing to bow to this king? What area of your life have you been refusing to bow to this king? And, and maybe you're here this morning and you thought to yourself, I, I don't know that I've ever been willing to bow to this king. Oh, I pray that John's gospel to you would be this. Quit believing the illusion that you're your own king. Bow to this king who died for you to invite you into his kingdom. Believe upon him and receive eternal life. But I want to give you a few moments right now to reflect upon that. What area of your life have you been refusing to bow to Jesus as king? And if you've never bowed to him as king, won't you receive him for eternal life today? Jesus isn't the king we've expected, but he is the king we need. I'll give you a few moments to bow and reflect before our Lord together. Our Father, every single one of us is not immune from this illusion to think that we're our own kings. We think that we're the ones that are in control of our lives. We're the ones that can seek our own glory and honor. We're the ones that can build our own kingdom. But just like Pilate, just like the Roman soldiers, just like the Jewish leaders, that's all an illusion. Jesus wasn't the king we expected, but he is the king we need. And I know for my own life, Father, I, I've been reflecting what areas of my life have I been refusing to bow to the lordship of Jesus and his kingly rule in my life. I thank you that he's the one that put on a crown of thorns or let a crown of thorns be put on his head for our behalf. He's the one who was beaten and mocked and scorned for us. He's the one that was willing to be enthroned upon a cross so that we could have eternal life. Oh, Father, I pray that you would make us a grateful people, a worshiping people, a repentant people, that we would be turning from our own autonomy, our own sin, our own kingly and queenliness, and that we would bow in a humility and gratitude and praise to King Jesus, the one who is the king we need. And oh, Father, for someone 
someone here today that's never bowed the knee to Jesus, that has refused. Oh, I pray, would you open their eyes even today to see that this one who wore a crown of thorns, this one who was beaten and spit upon and mocked and scorned, the one who was crucified on a cross, oh, I pray that they would see this is their king. This is the one who may not be what they expected, but he is the one who can give them eternal life. Would you open their eyes that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they may have life in his name. Please do it. Friend, if that's you today, I invite you, come talk to me, another leader here at this church, an usher, a deacon, whoever you may identify as someone who knows Christ at Valley Bible Church. We want you to receive eternal life and receive this king, the king that you need. We love you, and we love you, Father. Go with us now as we represent this amazing king who meets our deepest needs. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in the name of King Jesus.